What's up, networkers, and welcome to the Network Insider. My name is Jasmine, your regularly scheduled moderator, and I will be talking to you about a great episode today. But before I get there, let me level set with you guys. The world has been experiencing some seriously groundbreaking history and events this past year. 2020 has changed our perspective on what the office is and what it can be. We have experts from Cisco, as well as JLL, who are going to be here to talk about smart building and how that is changing the already prime real estate industry. But before we get into the nitty gritty of everything, I want to take a second and just introduce our great speakers today. I'll come to you, Robert, first. Who are you and what do you do at Cisco? So hello, everyone. I'm a business solutions manager at Cisco, focusing on the digital building and the rapid transition that we are seeing in the real estate marketplace as customers try to get more coherent data about the space that they occupy. Cool. Thanks, Robert. Um, Jeremy, I'll come to you. Who are you and what do you do? Hey, thanks, Jasmine. My name is uh, Jeremy Whitico. I'm in the office of the CTO in Cisco, and I'm focused on our global smart building strategy. And we're spending a lot of time and energy these days connecting with our customers around how to build a trusted workplace as we return to work and how do we balance that between remote work and uh, being safe and sound inside of the buildings that we want to go back into. Awesome. Looking forward to your part of the conversation. And our last speaker today is from JLL, our vice chairman, Scott Panzer. Scott, what do you do at JLL? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Jasmine. Um, Yeah, I'm vice chairman at Jones Lang LaSalle, JLL. We manage somewhere in the neighborhood of a couple of billion square feet of third-party real estate around the world, 90,000 employees. I sit on an advisory uh, committee that represents many multinational corporations, uh, in fact, including Cisco worldwide. Thank you so much, Scott, Robert, and Jeremy for being here. But now that we've had our speakers introduce themselves, let's get into why we're here today. With smart building, you know, there has to be a technology behind it. And let's start there. Let's start at the backbone of it. And I want to talk about the Cisco Catalyst 9000. How does this technology come into play when it comes to smart building? When we look at the Catalyst 9000 and you think about the connectivity and the networking we've been providing our customers for years, the Catalyst 9000 is really becoming the platform for the smart building. And from a smart building perspective, define it in in a couple of areas, one for the data communication side of it, but also the power side of it. So as we look at the world and the devices that are being attached to the infrastructure, with the Catalyst 9000, we're now able to support building infrastructure such as lights and shade motors and all these other building systems that were predominantly separate, and we're converging them onto that single backbone. And when you think about the reasons why we look at doing that in a smart building, we're really trying to drive is an operational efficiency throughout the space and throughout the, fl- the floor plate of the building. And we look at trying to drive cost savings, but also enabling outcomes from a, a client standpoint. So whether that outcome be looking at from a COVID perspective and looking at UVC lighting to be able to kill pathogens in space, looking at Bluetooth from the perspective on the wireless side of things in the Catalyst 9000 platform, looking at Bluetooth to understand location of people or assets. At the end of the day, what we're really trying to do is get a richer data set about a pretty static asset, if you think about it in the past from a real estate standpoint. And these rich data sets are being provided by the platform, as well as third parties in terms of enabling the smart building today's current environment. And I guess I think to add to what Bob was just talking about, 
in the real estate sector, not necessarily just isolated to office space, we're seeing this globally with firms and owners and occupiers and developers using this technology to a much greater extent at, at energy efficiency, driving savings, driving better health and wellness in a workplace environment, and then looking at things like security, um, HVAC controls, and other very critical systems that are important inside these real estate assets. So on that note, when we come to like real estate industries and how it's changing over the course of the events that we've seen this year, Scott, how do you think smart building is going to help or change the real estate industry as we know it now? Great question, Jasmine. Let's back up a decade. 10 years ago, nobody ever really heard of LED lights. Everybody was focusing on fluorescent as being an efficient way to light up office space or distribution facilities. Fast forward 10 years, and here we are. There's not a single place you can go in the world that does not have an LED light. Same thing if you look 10 years ago, flat panel TVs were just coming into the horizon. And now you can't walk into any home or any facility and not see flat panel monitors reticent throughout. So when you focus on these types of things, you look at how the smart building solution is coming about. It is because the technology has gotten to a point where you can power things at a much lower basis of power than what you used to. Fluorescent lights in most office buildings used to need 277 uh, volts and a certain kind of amperage to go through. Your average LED light right now works off of 24 volts and needs about 12 watts of power to move forward. So the technology has caught up on the operational side and is being supported by the hardware that's being installed in facilities. Now, what, what, what does that mean for us as humans, right? Going into different places that we talk about, which we call real estate. Well, since we left caves, we always wanna have things around us like lights, and we always wanna have a comfort level like temperature. And now as we look forward and, and what we've just been through for the last three or four or five years is we're now looking at a much greater focus on security as well. So when you think inside of the envelope of real estate, the three things that we're talking about are you first walk into a place, you want access controls, you want that secure environment. Now we're looking at a post-COVID environment where you're looking at temperature scans and other things that might be important. Once you get into that space, you're looking at the comfort of, of what's happening inside that space. So the ability to have much better controls over the HVAC equipment at the time you're there and using proper sensors to diagnose what's happening is all what's part of going on in the real estate world today. And it's not just office space. It's not just commercial space. We could talk about retail, which I can touch on in a second. But let's also talk about some new things that we're doing that very closely with, with Cisco as a company. We're building new schools today, which are having all the same technology going in there and including being able to track where the kids are. Did they show up? Are they in the classroom? Now you have an emergency. Did everybody get out in time? Having that ability to track that through smart building solutions is the wave of the future. Yeah, and if I can, uh, if I can just add to that, Scott, I think you made a great um, point with the transition and the maturity of lighting for as an example. And if you think about the data and the connectivity that both you and, and Robert talked about on our network, we're starting to collapse and converge multiple networks inside of the uh, envelope of the building. And what gets real interesting is we have savings on the, uh, the development of the property itself, the ongoing operations of it. But now that we have more devices and things connected on the same platform, we can actually start to see interesting trends 
we like to talk about it as we're taking the data exhaust out of these things that are connected inside of our building. And they were there for an original intent and purpose, like occupancy sensors. If someone leaves, we turn the lights off and that's going to help with energy savings. But now we have a couple versions of occupancy sensors. And if we look at what data they give off, we can actually describe social density metrics on a floor plate. So if we're opening back up our building and we're going to run at 30% occupancy, we can actually use a variety of these sensors that are there for an alternative purpose, but we're stitching that information together in a slightly different way so we can articulate to the owner operator or the, the tenant HR team what the density looks like on their floor plates. And we can even get precise down to facial recognition if, if we're given permission. You know, People opt into that type of a program where we can actually articulate where someone went on the floor you know, using Wi-Fi cameras, collaboration endpoints, and and even get as precise as, you know, very specific contact tracing in this day and age for where people went, what floors they visited, and who they were within proximity to. So in the return to work segment of the world, we're using all of those analytics, mashing up that data in a different way than we have before to help with this immediate need. But then long-term using that same set of information to describe space utilization and behavior so we can come up with better designs of the floor plate themselves and how people uh, expect to work in the future. And that, you know, that that does segue into a couple of things because we are seeing growing demand for that type of technology. But we're going to run into a problem at some point, which is, and we've talked about this before, Jeremy, which is people's uh, privacy, right? So not everybody's going to want to know if they walk from one part of the floor down to the other part of the floor or or they left the building and they came back in. I think people will be okay with those types of things. The facial recognition and some of the other things are going to be a little bit more sensitive when we start talking to HR departments in the workplace. We've seen that now. I can tell you, though, that as we become much more conscious of things like active shooters and challenges that you have in the workplace, um, we're going to have to look at what the right regulations are and that we can stay inside of what constitutionally is legally um, applicable to this. So it may be it may be easier to do things like that in a in a um, K through eight charter school that we're building in Staten Island. It may be a little bit more challenging to do it in your in your standard office space going forward. Uh, I agree 100 percent. And it's just a it's a spectrum of offers. Right. There's no one size fits all. And depending on where an organization lands on that spectrum, we can either turn off features, you know, like facial recognition, we can turn that off with a software switch or in, in environments, there's a there's a middle ground like a K through 12 school where we might be doing facial recognition, but we're only comparing the people's faces we're looking at against known bad actors. And that's the only thing we're looking for is an alignment between that face I see in a video and are they on the, you know, America's most wanted poster, for instance. And that's spot on, Jeremy. I mean, I'll tell you one other thing you touched on. We're actually having clients right now where we are installing Cisco head-in equipment as part of a, a power over Ethernet solution where they've asked us to look at their conferencing space and be able to help um, delineate if there's not any occupancy in that conference room. Has It's been booked for, let's say, an hour, and, and the players that are in there, they finish their meeting in 15 or 20 minutes, and the sensors are not seeing any type of activity going on in that room. The first thing that happens is it automatically goes back into uh, the scheduler system and it, it says it appears that this room is available to be scheduled for another meeting if you want to. 
So that's brilliant type of thinking. And then there are companies out there like Digital Building Solutions that are designing the software in concert with Cisco that really is putting together that technology and allows occupiers to grab as much of that data as possible and reuse it for alternate purposes, for energy savings, for better efficiency in the workplace and the like. That's a great point, Scott. I think what we're starting to see, right, is not about is the space occupied, but how are we using the space and the technology that we have and WebEx endpoints, et cetera, to be able to drive that, understand that. But then how do you make operational triggers off of that from the perspective of, like you mentioned, someone leaves the room. Well, I might want to tell someone to go clean the room, or can we use AI and ML and those types of technologies to understand that there's a mess on the table, that something needs to be cleaned in there. And then furthermore is to make sure that we all have comfort about getting back into the space and it was cleaned the proper way. How do we look at the dwell time as an example on a cleaning cart that goes into that space so we understand that you know the space takes 15 minutes to clean and the person was there for 15 minutes versus going in for five minutes. And these are the, all the outcomes that we're seeing in the marketplace in real time from the perspective of you know as we get back to work here post-COVID. This is really interesting to kind of listen into. A question that I had while you guys were talking about use cases of smart building and how it can help businesses and organizations cut down on costs or help be eco-friendly to the world around us. But a question that I had was, for smart building users or implementers, does the size of your business or organization matter? Or does smart building only cater to the bigger businesses or how does smart building help those smaller folks that are starting to come back to work and starting to manage their business resiliency solutions? Well, I think I would definitely be very curious on Scott's take on this as well. But again, I'll just come back to my comment around a spectrum of, of, of opportunities, right? Foundationally, when we're digitizing a space or a building, there's some core capabilities that go into that. And we've worked very hard to make those affordable during the construction process, and then as well as on the ongoing operations. There's a limit on the on the you know on the the size of the business on the on the low end. What pieces of that portfolio and offer make sense? But even at the most foundational level, we have a great value proposition. One that we just actually deployed with Ashray uh, at their world headquarters in Atlanta. And you know, a forty thousand square foot headquarters. Uh, we did a full digitization at, at a very affordable uh, entry point from a core foundation perspective of the smart building. But Scott, I'd be very interested in your take. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, um, the first thing I will tell you is that smart building is a very broad term, and I'm not sure I would just leave it as smart building, but I would also call it smart utilization of building or real estate assets and smart occupancy and how all that comes together. POE, power over ethernet, and, and the foundation of what comes out of the, the 9000 series, it is very scalable. The one thing that Cisco has done is they, they've developed a different level of product where they could use something called a CBD, which is a much smaller, similar situation to the 9000 series, but just only has eight ports. And you can scale that into an office size of, let's say, five or 8,000 square feet and still get all of that same smart building technology, grabbing that data, that sensor data, using that for the health and wellness of the employees. So it's very scalable down to a certain point. And then on the upside, I mean, it, it's, it's largely scalable and we're, we're seeing some very, very large corporations coming in and putting it into a million square foot office space in, in downtown Manhattan. Uh, we're seeing residential towers that are going up with 175 units. 
and putting in smart building solutions so they could track the energy consumption. It's part of their security um, installation that they're putting in there. We're seeing retailers now trying to grab data and eye scanning and other things to see what are consumers doing and how do we capture the most of point of purchase when they're there. We believe, at least at, at JLL, that smart building is is not just here to stay. It's it's something that's been wanted for, for a long time now. That's great. Really cool to see that there are so many different devices and pieces of hardware that's packed with technology that can help businesses of all sizes leverage the technology that we are evolving at Cisco with JLL and that can fit any business of any size. That being said, I know we all love an ecosystem like Apple. Apple has a great ecosystem and that's why we kind of love it so much. But with smart building or smart occupancy or smart utilization of a building. Is there any integration, Scott, that you've seen um, in the real estate industry that leverages this technology like smart building with any Cisco solutions? Well, I I think the backbone for most of this technology started with Cisco. And I believe that Cisco is, is, is the primary source of most of this technology going out from an MDF or an IDF closet. I mean, you, we, we now see things like the Sinclair hotel, in Fort Worth, Texas, where everything runs on Ethernet cable, both the power and the data coming back, small under-counter refrigerators, microwave ovens, the flat panel TVs, as I mentioned earlier, they're sitting in these hotel rooms, are all powered by single ports coming out of a Cisco switch, that 9000 series switch. We put in, uh, we're putting in 9400 chassis now with line cards from Cisco in much larger, broader operations and we're powering all the lights, all the motorized shades. We're looking at the VAV systems, which are the variable air volume for the HVAC equipment. And that sensor technology, that's what companies are looking for, are things like CO2, not just occupancy, CO2 they're looking for. They're looking for um, details on thermistats and temperature, how it all comes together. There, There's a shade manufacturer out there, Meco, that has a solar technology that actually looks at and does algorithms that measures the angle of the sun and automatically tells the system to drop the shades to a certain degree on the window to help reduce the, the solar component of what's coming into that space, again, thereby reducing the, the energy consumption to cool that space. So it's all there and it's all growing and it's it's, it's not going to happen without a Cisco type doing it and Cisco's on the forefront and I think it's going to be uh, long and coming for others to catch up to it. Yeah, and I, I would agree with you on that, Scott. And, and I want to go back to something else you said earlier about um, PoE and you know 13 watts here and 7 watts here. As we look at the ecosystem of things and widgets we can build into a building, we are getting very precise on our design patterns. And so what I mean by that is if we look at one 90-watt port on a switch connecting and powering so connecting the data side and powering, you know, the ability for the, the device to even um, be alive. We're actually working on designs where we can get 10 to 11 things all connected in one line on that one port. So we're very focused on standards. Uh, it's one of the things Cisco is pretty well known for is, is driving standardization in an industry that's growing. So we have security standards out there, one like MUD, which is a manufacturer user identification. So if one of those 11 things powers up on that that single port, it identifies itself to us uh, what it is. And, you know, if it's a BMS thing, we'll put it on the BMS subnetwork. If it's a uh, elevator thing, we'll put it on the elevator network. And we're doing all that 
automatically to save time and energy in the upfront design and build of the building, but also on the ongoing basis, uh, it's consuming as little power as we possibly can while connecting, you know, multiple things across um, that floor plate to ultimately allow us to rewire the experiences that we enable on that floor plate with software versus pulling a whole bunch of new connectivity or power to, you know, each square foot of that floor. Yeah, and I think, Jasmine, the other thing, sorry, the other thing I want to just touch on real quick is one of the things that's going to be critical as we move forward through this current decade is being able to continue to drive that cost down by having more of the product out in the field. So the adoption initially five years ago was a bit slow. We're seeing exponential increase in the adoption of this Cisco product, the the power of Ethernet um, technology. And, and the broadening of what it offers to uh, building owners and occupiers alike. And to that point, Scott, and, and what Jeremy mentioned as well, is that we increasingly find ourselves in a situation where every client knows they need these individual point solutions. And they may go and try to find point solutions, but what, we're, what they're realizing is, is that a vertically integrated stack is very hard to manage when you have six or seven of them. So Cisco is increasingly playing the role to be that unifier, not only on the wired side, but also on the wireless side. When you look at what we're doing with DNA spaces and the integration on the latest access points with BLE type of devices where customers are no longer having to deploy these vertical stacks, we can be in the middle of all that and be the connector of all the physical devices, but then also have the software outbound side of this when you look at some of the application partners that we have that are integrated with the DNA spaces platform. Bob raises a very good point, which is, um, and one of the things that goes back to your question, Jasmine, is sort of why Cisco. And I think that I believe firmly that, you know, typically all these things we're talking about inside of real estate have always been an office services sort of function or, or real estate manager's function. But now when you start bringing in the technology piece of it, you're seeing the IT teams becoming a much bigger player and a much bigger stakeholder in the selection and of the final solution. And th- one of their biggest concerns is how do they maintain the level of cybersecurity inside of that? And one of the beauties of marrying up the OT function with the IT function through the Cisco product is that they already have embedded in it that, that cybersecurity component that allows the IT people to feel comfortable about giving this product to their facilities people to go ahead and operate much of the facility with it and not allowing people to come in on a back-end way to do something dangerous to a facility. So that's an important aspect of why I think Cisco is there and why they've been adopted much greater than anyone else. And uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't have a little bit of fun with this. So Jasmine, you talked about, you know, everyone's affinity for Apple or the ecosystem. We do have fun with it too. So not only fun with our, our buildings, but, you know, solving problems like we're facing right now with the trusted workplace, we're using artificial intelligence and even voice recognition. So I'll see if I can say this without anything waking up on my laptop, but you can say things in our building like, hey, WebEx, can you dim the lights in this conference room? And you know, we know what conference room you're in. We communicate through our WebEx uh, endpoint out to the BMS system or the lighting control system, and we take whatever actions you want using voice commands. So that's a safety feature, I would say, right now, as we you know want to touch less surfaces when we come back into the building. But it's also leveraging all of the security that Scott talked about, because you can't do those things from outside of the network. But once you're inside of it, you know, having those converged ecosystems talk to each other in ways that we haven't done before really starts to unlock 
even more value in what the building can offer and remove friction out of people's day-to-day work. I'm glad you brought up another solution that Cisco is providing that can help with location density. I know you mentioned Cisco DNA spaces. Then we have the power with the Cisco Catalyst 9000. But I think, Scott, you briefly touched on the security aspect of it. And I know that security to people and their privacy is of their utmost priority. So how are we going to address that challenge? Like, what is Smart Building going to do to ensure that, yes, we're going to bring back people into the office safely, but we're not going to compromise their privacy? What's being done there? Well, I think the first thing that it's being done right now, we're living inside of this transformation today. The first thing we're doing is we're not really necessarily putting people's names against faces as they come into buildings. So while there may be a scanning component, temperature scan in some buildings, there may, there's an ID component that goes along with that when you walk into certain buildings. And most people don't realize that when you walk in and you have a proximity reader that's grabbing the GPS off your phone, your picture is already embedded into that office building security system. So they know that, that the GPS inside of your phone has now triggered a picture of you showing up in some screen in some security room in that building. So they've identified you've now entered the building. Now, that you can argue that, that you want to be private and not have that happen. Um, then it's the building's choice not to let you in there. But I think by and large, people are expecting today more so than ever that their privacy is going to be not necessarily violated, but certainly um, compromised a bit for the sake of, and wellness of everyone else. So similar to as Bob and, and, and Jeremy and Jerry mentioned earlier, when we're looking at health and wellness going forward, a year ago, if you came into the, the, your office space coughing, people would say, oh, you know what, just stay away from me. Now you show up coughing, they're going to stone you. It's just how it is. So wouldn't you rather just be stopped at the door before you get there by having the proper protocols? And while that may be some level of violation of your privacy that you're ill, I think I think everybody else would prefer to know it, and you might prefer to know it, and then therefore go home and avoid other things happening in the future. The other thing we're seeing, and we saw this in, in, in a lot of unfortunate examples in a lot of schools and, and certainly in the workplace, where we have the active shooter situation. The technology is so important now to recognize when that's happening and be able to shut down the elevators and not let those people get up inside of buildings or inside of a classroom or other places to hurt occupants of those facilities. So I have a good feeling um, strongly that, that many people are gonna be willing to supplement their own safety and security and a privacy for the overall physical safety of what they can have in the future. And I think, you know, to that point, especially given your example about a cough and, and, and maybe being stoned, I kind of chuckled when I visualized that, you know, there's some statistics and reporting coming out there from, you know, salesforce.com. They did a survey, a global workforce survey, and 52% of workers who want to get back to the building are more comfortable sharing their personal information than they ever had been in exchange for a safer workplace. So while that doesn't, that's not a magic wand and that's not going to continue in perpetuity, I think in the short term, there's going to be a willingness to, to trade off some of that for some peace of mind as we reenter the buildings from a, from a day-to-day work perspective. And then time will tell how well we can act on that exchange of privacy information for more value and people's willingness to you know, continue on providing that, that personal information for other outcomes that they might be interested in. Other things you can think about now, I mean, look at where we are today in a, in a 
mid, I wouldn't even say post-COVID, because it's really not post-COVID. We're in the middle of COVID still. So people are predominantly walking around with masks, right? How do you identify that person coming into a building now, but for their eyes? So now you're, start, you're going to start getting to things like, are we going to do retina scans? What are the things that we can do um, when you can't really have a full facial recognition in a secure environment when somebody comes into a building? There may be finger ID, you know, scans of coming in. So people have to be prepared, right? If we're going to live in, in these challenging times, which are not so challenging once we get the technology that catches up with how to solve for it, and Cisco's on the forefront of that, I think you're going to see people being, okay, it is what it is today. I couldn't agree with you more there, Jeremy and Scott. I think nowadays, wherever you go, I think it's totally normal to have your temperature taken or to make sure that you are healthy as you state you are. So I think you guys hit all of the nails on the head. And you know, I think the workplace and the return to workplace, whether it's a school or an office building or a hospital, it's going to completely change. And I love that Cisco, as well as in partnership with Scott JLL, things are really going to evolve and just keep evolving to make sure that people coming back to the workforce are kept safe and kept healthy. I would love to keep going, but this kind of wraps up our conversation and our time today. But I just wanted to thank you guys so much for joining in and enlightening um, our audience as well as me about smart building and the power that it has behind it. For our listeners, I love for you to subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and all your favorite platforms so you're always in the know. And if you'd like to learn more about today's episode, please visit cisco.com slash go slash cat 9k. We'll get back into the network really soon, but until then, ciao, and we'll see you later. Bye.